Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23, awesome caps at great prices. Kibio, the place for split keyboards. DIY keyboards, get cracking. And Daily Clack, Australia's enthusiast's mechanical keyboard store. Well, it's been a uh, little bit of a delay for this week's episode. Yesterday was another pretty hectic day for me as things are trying to be wrapped up for the end of the year before, you know, business and work shuts down and so on and so forth. I actually had to do a bit of travel, not interstate, but uh, certainly to another site and and that added to uh, a bit of extra stress and whatnot because I was driving on some unfamiliar roads and pathways and, uh, well, let's say we made an incorrect turn on a motorway and headed considerably far in the wrong direction before we were able to do a very big loop back around to the right direction. Uh, We kind of got a bit of a a bum steer. I I know it was unintentional. It was accidental more than anything else. Uh, But it it did make for a very uh, time-constrained trip and uh, resulting flow-on effects from that for the rest of the afternoon. But uh, it, it was really interesting doing that because uh, I kind of discovered, and I already knew this, that I'm a very low-tech kind of person in, in this modern world, and that, well, it was not surprising at all to discover people didn't really even know about or what were mechanical keyboards. So my colleagues and I were in the vehicle traveling to this other site, and it was a, a discussion about maps on our mobile devices, and I said, you know, i I rarely use any mobile data because I have so little. I have 1.5 gigabytes a month for a parsley sum uh, on my mobile plan. And essentially I was told that it was 2019, I really should get with the times and get some data. (laughs) And, you know, there was a short discussion about how much of a tight ass I really am about it, as well as the fact that I live on hand-me-down phones, which is still true today. Um, I think the last time I actually bought a phone was 2001, somewhere along then. Uh, but, you know, uh, it ended up talking about people and old technology, and one of the older gentlemen in the, the vehicle said that he doesn't listen to commercial radio, he listens to audiobooks. And the person who called me essentially uh, a technophobe, I suppose, in some ways, was like, what, on a cassette deck? And he was like, no, 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 no. Uh, He listens to it via uh, digital USB, plugs into his car. And then we were just talking about that, and I mentioned, oh, you know, I've got a podcast, and and this other guy was like, oh, well, what's on, like, podcast? What do do you do a podcast on? And I said, mechanical keyboards. He's like, mechanical keyboard? Like, what? Like, piano or something it's like no 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 like input devices mechanical keyboards and the youngest person in the vehicle was just like yeah you like computer keyboards and supposedly you know they feel different they feel better and and like they're good for gaming and stuff like that and i was like yeah that stuff so then the question was like oh well how long have you been doing that i said three years and there was a bit of a an incredulousness factor here where the guy was just like how can you possibly talk about computer keyboards for three years and then he stopped and he said 
how frequent are your podcasts? And I said, well, I try to be weekly. And then he was just like, how do you talk about computer keyboards every week for three years? And for me, I was just like, well, there's just a lot of stuff that happens in the community, <laughs> you know, new designs and uh, new products that come out and there's, there's drama and stuff like that with what happens within the community. And he was just like, I'm going to have to Google this because I just can't believe that there is that much you can possibly talk about. And you know what? There is, I guess, because we're still here and I'm still talking about keyboards and having relatively a good time. So if you kind of have just dipped your toes into the mechanical keyboard space, well, you can be here for the long run. You really can. And it all goes back to is that old age old question is their endgame. And, well, for some, they believe it does exist, and for others, they will continue to search and search and search for it. So that's been realistically the only sort of major things that I've been doing keyboard-wise in the, in the last week, which has been not very much at all. Uh, I actually have received a couple of Secret Santa items now from both the RMK Secret Santa as well as the Daily Clack Secret Santa that was run through their Discord, plus a Secret Santa from work. So what I'm hoping to do is I'm going to do a video of opening them and unboxing them. Probably not going to be live stream, but I will release that leading up to Christmas just to uh, you know have something there, a bit of fun, and see what I got. And uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be something that you can tune into. So this week, in regards to topics, it's actually been a couple of things that are, well, primarily drama-related, talking about drama. It's it's something that I haven't really done too much of lately, because, you know, I don't want to be too dramatic about things. But at the same time, some of these things are really important discussion topics, and one of them has been specifically requested by somebody within our Slack group. So, you know, keeping my promises, we're going to go ahead and talk about it. But probably the most exciting thing that has actually happened this week was the news about the key company and minivans. So December 4th, ah, when was that? That, that would have been... Uh, Wednesday. So Wednesday, or the week that's just gone by, a post came up and the key company announced that they have acquired the minivan, which is really, really cool. So, you know, in a, in a very quick spiel through, big news, with the blessing of Evan, the founder of the van keyboards, the key company will be offering minivan kits in 2020. In addition, we plan to bring these back as fully assembled keyboards. These will include PBT keycaps, gator on switches, and more features that we're actively working on. From day one, we've seen the potential of the minivan and are stoked that we're taking over manufacturing. We believe the minivan will be a keyboard which brings those in the mainstream market into the enthusiast world. A note from Evan. Nearly four years ago, I set out to make the minivan 40% accessible to all. Unfortunately, I didn't have all the right infrastructure to achieve my goals. The van keyboards became a burden for me and I began seeking alternatives. I met Jason a couple of years ago through the GMK terminal. He provided an excellent level of support for the minivan. The 
key company immediately came to mind when I made the decision to close shop. Jason was immediately interested, and we began exploring the key company taking over production and sale of the minivan. We are excited to be working together and to continue the legacy that is the minivan. So, you know, I think that's absolutely fantastic news. As a pseudo minivan user and an owner of a minivan, it lives at work and is one of my, I suppose, uh, show-off pieces for small form factor keyboards. I love the fact that the minivan will continue. Plus the fact that, you know, we've seen the Kumo, which was a really great success from a Kickstarter point of view in a cheaper, lighter alternative to the stock aluminium uh, full-on CNC'd minivan, the 40% layout. So I think it's been really, it's it's been absorbed by the community quite positively. And I know that from the Slack discussions, there's definitely been a lot of joy about it because we have a lot of people in the Slack who are actually 40% enthusiasts who are quite saddened to hear about the van keyboards closing down and minivans to the point where some of them wanted to buy spares to support, you know, future potential obsolescence issues. So it's good that at least this is not going to be as much of an issue as it potentially could have been. I do want to wish the key company uh, success in this. And of course, I'm sure, you know, Evan's involvement will still be there in some capacity because from what I read of it, it's that they will be uh, manufacturing and selling these kits, though they still would be having development. So depending on what is actually being provided to the key company from the van keyboards in, I suppose, technical data and detail, or if it's just simply CAD files and Gerber files, well, we may see other iterations and whatnot. What has been interesting is that people did ask also on if the other kits like the road kit, numpads and caravan and stuff like that which were other products and designs from the van keyboards would also be transitioning over to the key company or not. So that hasn't really been fully answered or disclosed. It's more of a we'll see what's happening kind of thing, but it is definitely very positive. So that's that's absolutely fantastic for the community. Good stuff, good stuff. So let's roll into i suppose the first of the uh three kind of uh, dramatic content probably this one's not too too bad but it's quite a long topic here but your fishmonger had asked a question about how as a buyer you know what are your options and what can you possibly do if you're involved in a group buy that just goes completely off the rails? Now, in the last four years, there's been a significant number of group buys that have gone off the rails. When I say gone off the rails, it's significant delays, products that were nowhere near their intended design and renders. We've got stuff that's been quality issues. We've had stuff where funding has essentially dried up and people just weren't getting their stuff. We've got people getting shipped stuff that were incorrect, factories not having spares because they weren't ordered. So there's all sorts of different kinds of ways that group buyers can go off the rails. Now, the OP, your fishmonger, 
was specifically referring to their involvement in the modern M0110 by Descandy. Now, the M0110 is a refresh of the Apple keyboard of the same titlement, essentially. Now, the the time frame was essentially July the 5th, 2018, to join the buy. And the actual marketing and the design and whatnot of the kit had a lot of support going back to September 2017. So the original delivery date was meant to be August of 2018. So July to August was quite a short time frame, right? And as I said, delays in these things are to be expected. Shit happens. Now, we're talking 18 months from that point. There is still no product. <laughs> and in regards to updates and confirmations, that's probably been the biggest bugbear for your fishmonger is because people have received some boards. A couple of boards have come out with the latest one around September 2019. And now it's December. So three months on from that. They're not answering emails. They weren't answering private messages on Reddit or GeekHack. And they seem to have ghosted the entire group by thread despite people asking for updates and transparency. So that was the original post. And it ends with a quite serious note in the context that they're asking two questions. Do I assume at this point that all of us are out of up to $1,000 each? And the second question is, are we just being scammed here? It's, I'm sure, not something that they've written lightly or in jest, because... It's quite serious. You're 18 months out and nobody wants to experience another Ivan, especially if it's the first time that you've actually ever involved in a group buy and sunk a crazy amount of money potentially for you. Now, there's been a really interesting mix of responses here. You know, some people are sucking up on it as in they're just like, suck it up, right? Like, that's the way it is. And people are reminding, you know, buy beware, caveat emptor, and then there's also the issue of, for example, Damn Fine Coffee says, it's shitty, but you need to get into these things with dead money only. That's very true. Anytime that you put money into a group buy that has no means of being able to legally guarantee you a product, you have to assume that potentially you're never going to see that money again and that you're never going to get a product because the risk is real. The risk is very real. Now, if it's done through things like PayPal, you have protections, but they're very limited protections. I think it's like 180 days at most, which is like, heck, six months if you're lucky, right? Or whatever 180 days comes up to be, roughly six months. But PayPal in itself has very specific policies in regards to handling money for products that don't exist. Now, I know that through my discussions with Ryan from the Austere keyboard buy, it was a right pain because they refused to release money until proof was provided that product actually exists and was manufactured. As well as, you know, if you don't have a business level kind of PayPal account and stuff like that, there are limitations on how much money that you can collect and hold. And there's there's all sorts of things that are part of that big picture, right? And inherently, 
A person who organizes a group buys in relatively as much risk these days, depending on their supply chain. Now, I, I kind of uh, had a pause there because I was reflecting on the word their supply chain. It implies the supply chain is actually within their own choice and remit and control. However, the majority of our community manufactures through China, and China is not exactly the most trustworthy or reliable, just based on experience. We've seen what's happened to other buys like uh, Keyboardio, where an entire factory packed up and left and bailed and dicked them out of a significant number of dollars, over $100,000 worth of issues. They were able to chase that down, and apparently it was like, you know, some miscommunications and things like that. But the reality is, goodness knows, because they went through an agent. They went through a middle person to find a factory that was actually capable of producing. And they got samples, and they were happy with it, and then they sunk the money in, and then it went pear-shaped. And that's not the first time we've seen this. I don't remember specifically the details, but there's been another incident similarly where a buyer's gone off the rails because the entire CNC factory packed up and disappeared. Supposedly. Supposedly. I mean, you don't just shut shop and move massive amounts of equipment without notice, right? There there has to be forethought about it. Supposedly in this other instance, I don't have the specific reference, so I do apologize about that. The person who ran the group by had their contact actually go to the factory and everything was there all set up and they produced a prototype and there was people working there, so on and so forth. And then they got ghosted by the factory and they were like, hey, you know what? We're going to go back down and check it out. The guy rocks up to the facility and it's an empty warehouse. And they're like, oh my God, they've just run away with the money. Because there is literally nothing in this warehouse. They've shut shop. All the machines are gone. There's no people there. Like, you couldn't do that in a first world country without some relative trace and accountability somewhere along lines. But in China, this seems to be quite possible. (laughs) It's, It's incredulous, right? So, for them to ask, are they getting scammed and... Are they assuming that all their money is out of pocket with this modern M0110? There is, there is that reality. There is that fear that, oh no, it's happened to this buy. It's not an impossibility. However, the person who has been involved with this, which is a Jang Lad, actually has written a response, quite a detailed response and, you know, as they say, I want to make it completely clear that I'm not trying to shift blame here. I made big mistakes in the factories and in general, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a lot of content and detail. But a lot of it's quality issue. A lot of it was uh, related to their further supply chain having issues. So for example, the biggest hold point that I'm noticing here is the Cerakote vendor stopped responding to texts and calls for a month and has just resurfaced. And they were having issues because the Cerakote wasn't sticking. And the reason why it wasn't sticking was because the CNC had been machined too hard and the machining marks were preventing the Cerakoting from sticking. And so there's a lot of chain on events and so on and so forth. But I think 
the the point that came up from this because your fishmonger started you know responding to that as well and saying appreciate the updates and whatnot it's very pertinent that what is clearly lacking is that communication piece and as your fishmonger rightly says all we want is communication good or bad and transparency and he goes on to say can you please commit to an update every week or two on your group by post on GeekHack. These updates, three to four months, and an occasional Instagram post without context is not helping anybody, especially reputations for both you and so on and so forth. So, like, you know, they're right. That, that communication part is very important. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that me, working in industry... I work in a very big company, right? And there's some very big major projects that we are involved with and there's a lot of tasks and there's a lot of potential for failure and miscommunication, stuff like that, right? So how do our extremely large programs and projects work? How do they happen? How do tens of millions of dollars worth of activity transition smoothly on this scale? It's because we have project management. Now, project management's actually really not that hard. Yeah, sure, you can go and do an MBA and you can go and do like Prince 2 and you can go and learn all sorts of different project management systems and methodologies. But down to the very basic core, project management as a concept it's quite simple. Okay. And I'm going to lay it out for you because I don't have any formal project management uh, qualifications, but I work in that space. Right? I work in asset management space. And I support multiple teams in a project management capacity to deliver my work, deliver our work, deliver our programs. So here's the key thing in project management. Well, communication, 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 right? My customers ask a question. If I don't know that, I'll let them know that I don't know that, but then I'll go and follow it up until I know what it is and I get back to them. When my teams come through and say they don't have enough information, I go to my customer and say, I need to know about this so that they can know about this. When a hiccup comes along, I say to the customer, there's a hiccup, your delivery is going to be potentially delayed. Or... How do we work around this? What's going to be to your satisfaction, right? This forwards and back communication is absolutely crucial. It's critical, right? Now, in a commercial space, for example, you're typically going to have customer meetings. Now, we can't really do that in the keyboard community very easily, but it's not like it's impossible to have Q&As. Now, they mentioned Instagram here, posts without context. I've seen plenty of people use Instagram to actually have Q&As. People just throw in questions at them, and then they answer it with posts on Instagram. It doesn't mean that you can't get on Twitch or YouTube and have a live stream, right? It's almost like a Reddit, ask me anything type of context, and go, well, let's have an opportunity, try and pick a time zone where the bulk of your group by participants are involved, where they could actually log on and throw real time questions where you can answer them and if you've got customers all around the world well 
suck it up, maybe do a couple of sessions, right? A Northern Hemisphere at a reasonable time, a Southern Hemisphere at a reasonable time, so on and so forth. Or by countries, you know, Europe time frame, a US time frame, an Oceania time frame, or something of that nature. Or produce a FAQ press kit that you can send to proxies within each of those countries so they can actually distribute that and address it, right? There's so many opportunities here for easy communications. Communicating correctly, appropriately, in a timely manner alleviates a lot of concern and stress. Now, leading on from that, though, is how do you know when or what you should be communicating? Well, you need to have a schedule. You need to have a milestones calendar. Milestones calendars are very easy. Now, you know, if you have access to uh, like Microsoft products and whatnot, there's MS Project. And if you don't, you can develop very simple things just in Excel spreadsheets. Go look up what a Gantt chart is, right? You do that in Excel. You do it on a piece of paper, like, you know, anything, right? On a whiteboard. You can create a Kanban board using Trello, which is free online. There's all these opportunities and tools where you can go, we have to hit this by this date. And if we don't hit this, well, that's got to move right. But if it moves right, as part of your process, you have to let people know that it's moving right. Hey guys, we were hoping to manufacture these by CNC by the 1st of August. That didn't happen because this happened at the factory. So we are now moving right and we are hoping to get all of these CNC'd by X date, by the start of September. Okay, but we'll give you an update on how this is progressing in two weeks. And that's going to be on your calendar. That's going to be on a milestones. Two weeks comes along. The update could be, sorry, this has not progressed as intended. It's going to have to move right again, right? It doesn't matter what you're telling people. It goes back to the communication piece. You're at least keeping them in the loop. They have the confidence. They have the assurance to know that you're on top of it. The third part about project management, which is probably even more critical than those other two, but if you don't get this right in the first place, you probably shouldn't be doing this. And that's resourcing. Okay. If you're going to enter a project like a group buy, it doesn't matter the size of the project that you're working on. If you cannot resource it appropriately, you shouldn't start. It's as simple as that. Now, when I talk about resourcing, I'm not just talking about money, because obviously you need to be financially capable of completing the activities for your project, but you need to have the time. You need to have the overhead for it. Now, when you look at a lot of these projects, okay, the majority of our community that runs group buys, it's not their day job. They don't run shops. They don't run group buys for a living. So you have to, you absolutely have to ensure that you've got time to be able to manage this. Okay. If you don't, you're going to get into trouble. Because when life kicks you in the gut and something happens and you don't have the time, stuff starts to slip. It slips hard. And it's not going to be very forgiving at all. And this type of stuff will occur. And your customers will get upset because stuff is slipping. They're not being told about it. 
and then they're going to feel slighted about it. And it gets harder and harder to catch back up the longer it goes. So you have to be realistic because if you know your schedule, if you understand your schedule, okay, your schedule has to match your resourcing. So for me, right, if I use this podcast series and the YouTube channel for the board podcast as an example of a project, because it is a project, it's an ongoing long-term project, right? My resourcing is, well, financially, I have support from a job. I also have support from Patreon, right? Fantastic. Okay, tick. That's stable. I'm good with that. I can afford to spend the money that I spend to do these activities. Time-wise, I'm a bit more limited because I have a full-time job. And I also have family and I have responsibilities on that. However, I have shifted my schedule from doing it at weird, wacky hours of the night on a weekend, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., to coincide with my co-hosts previously, to now after work on a weekday. Because that is what my time enables me to have to actually complete that activity. But at the same time, I understand my schedule because I don't overcommit. My commitment to this project with my resourcing is I attempt to have an episode every week by podcast and I attempt to have one video a week on the YouTube channel because that's what my resourcing level permits me to do. Now, when I can't make an episode, when I don't feel well, when I'm sick and whatnot, I still try and put something out. At a minimum, I might put it on the Slack. I might have a blog post. I might you know, put it on Facebook and go, hey, sorry, don't have an episode. Or a five-minute little mini thing which just basically says, sorry, there's not going to be an episode. Right? That goes back to that communication piece. So, these very three simple things. Foundationally, your resources have to be available. You have to plan for it. You have to understand the availability that you have to put into your project. That will drive your schedule on when events and occurs, uh, incidents, milestones can occur, when, you know, you can deal with stuff, right? What needs to move, what can be dealt with now, what can't be dealt with now. And then on top of that is the communication, right? Communicating to people when milestones have been reached, when milestones haven't been reached, when milestones have to be shifted, when resourcing becomes an issue, okay? If you can achieve those three things, then that will get you very, very far. Without that, you're going to have a really hard time. So I'm going to I'm going to stop about this topic from there. It looks like the M0110, the, the modern version of this, will happen. It's just they are playing catch up, right? There's a lot of manufacturing fulfillment issues, but it looks like they are on top of it. It's just taken them a lot longer. And I hope everybody who is on this buy will be able to get something eventually and not be scammed. Whew. Okay. So going on from there, let's just talk very, very briefly on competitions. For this month of December, because it's Christmas, I would love to see something from you guys about Christmas. It can be 
picture, could be a poem, could be a story, could be a song and dance, whatever it is that you like. Something Christmas and preferable keyboard related. I've received one entry, really lovely entry, so thank you very much for that. The person who put that in, they know who they are. I've already responded to them. You still got a couple of weeks to get it in, and of course, you'll be eligible to win one of our fantastic prizes, courtesy of Kibio, DIY Keyboards, and of course, here, us, the board podcast. Send them in through to our email address, which is theboardpodcast at gmail.com. Now, just trying to think which one should I go with. Let's, let's go with something probably a little bit simpler. And, and probably less, I suppose, opinion soapboxing. And that is GMK, Rudy, and the Notre Dame Shamrock. I guess this is a really good flow-on for, for the third topic that I'll have. So GMK, Rudy is a key set, from my understanding, that is inspired by the movie about somebody who was trying to get onto the Notre Dame football team. And as part of that, it had some novelties and a Rama Works produced artisan, which was a shamrock, because the shamrock is representative of the football team's uh, mascot and icon, which is the fighting Irish. It's like a leprechaun kind of dude hanging out of a shamrock. So it was really interesting because IP, intellectual property, right, uh, and trademarks and whatnot is something that's constantly a part of custom key sets, boards, so on and so forth, uh, in inspired sets. Now, most sets don't generally have an issue because there's probably not a lot of intellectual property that's going to be caught up in it. You know, you can be inspired by a lot of things and you can come up with your own novelties and colorways and stuff like that. And unless if the colorway is specifically trademark in a way, for example, Cadbury purple, right? So if you went and actually used the purple from Cadbury's chocolate and it was chocolate related, they're going to come and ping you for that because they actually own that trademark color scheme in context, right? So those trademarks for products, for example, are always in context. If you use that same Cadbury Purple and it's got nothing to do with chocolate, they're not going to have a strong case because it's not competitive against their product or their trademark. Now, we know that we've seen intellectual property issues with, for example, Pulse novelties, where it was art that was used that hadn't been paid for and that got resolved through actual purchase of the art. So we also know at the same time that commercialization of trademarks is possible because, uh, sorry, Cassie, Cassie Williams, I believe off the top of my head, right? With DSA Scrabble actually contacted Hasbro and was able to work out a deal to be able to officially produce DSA Scrabble, right? So with that in mind, I think our community needs to be a lot more aware of intellectual property and inspiration because 
there was an the Rama artisan which had the shamrock on it is now dead because Rama Works legal team identified that that would be an issue because the shamrock artisan design was too close too similar to the University of Notre Dame's trademarked or registered one of those two I can't remember exactly what it is icon the iconography they've actually they've actually gone and trademarked or or registered that particular symbol to be of this now some people were like you know what it's not the same because we've modified it but then somebody went ahead and actually put a overlay of Notre Dame's shamrock and the Rama one and you know what there's very very small differences but it's pretty much the same same down to the rotational angle of the shamrock come on come on seriously right you look at it and you're just like were you even trying to make this shamrock look different well of course not because if it looked different it wouldn't be part of the story of the set it just it, you know, it wouldn't have the same feel about it, right? So, Roma Works went, you know what, we're not doing this. Because you don't have permissions, and it's it's a minefield for us and our reputation. Not going to go there. And, of course, they decide to cut that artisan. So, here's the thing, right? Why was that not identified as part of the design? Maybe they weren't aware of it. Well, if they weren't aware of it, they, by golly, are aware of it now. So if they still want to make it happen, has anybody actually approached the University of Notre Dame and said, hey, guys, we love this story. It's inspired a key set. We would love to be able to use that logo. Look, it's a community thing. We don't really make any profit from it. It's going to be small buys. Your product is going to be uh, well, your logo will be manufactured and utilized in a reputable manner. The thing is, a lot of places trademark stuff, register it because it's core to their identity and their business, and their products, right? So the Shamrock and the football team makes absolute sense in that. It's core to the team's identity. It's core to their values. And they protect it because if somebody is utilizing it incorrectly, there is the potential association that will impact their reputation. Now, we're a keyboard community. We, we deal with keyboards and keycaps and key sets. How much bad reputation can potentially come from that, right? So that's an easy spin to go, your reputation of your trademark or your registered iconography is not going to be potentially significantly impacted. And then it's just down to a financial thing right? How much money are you going to use? Sorry, how much money are you going to make off our icon, our design? Well, if you can show them that you're actually not really going to make a lot of money, they might be more than happy to let you use it for a small token fee. I mean, I don't know what the deal that Cassie made with Hasbro was for her to be able to produce DSA Scrabble. Okay. So, you know, can't really answer that. But a lot of universities are quite open because they want to promote them. They want to be seen as great institutions and community places. They want 
to garner support for themselves. So if you made that approach, what's the likelihood that they could actually be like, yeah, no worries. Can we also slap on something? Can we part of, be part of that promotion, right? Can we be involved in the process and get the University of Notre Dame, right? Or supported by the University of Notre Dame. Heck, they might even support it on their own site and go, hey, check this out. You know, if you're not in mechanical keyboards, these guys are doing this and X, Y, and Z, fantastic, looks great. It's got the shamrock. These are the kinds of things you can think about. These are the kinds of things that you can approach. You shouldn't be trying to go under the radar. It could end up with a really fantastic opportunity to build relationships with different people that could be beneficial for our community. The worst case is they're going to say no, right? If they ask if they ask you for a stupid amount of money, well, you're going to say, sorry, I can't afford that. We're not going to go and do that. Well, that's it, right? How's that any different to now? Because that artisan is still not going ahead. Okay, it's just something to think about. Something to think about. Intellectual property is really challenging, but approaching it the right way, because usually the intellectual property there is financial decisions and reputation decisions. Okay, so if you can tackle those two in an appropriate way and manner, then you're probably going to get a good way to what you need. Hello, Arietti. So, this leads me to the last topic for this week. And this one's going to be a bit of a soapbox one. I don't have a lot of, shall we say, facts on this. But I was asked to provide my thoughts and and whatnot about it. Because... They suspected that something was happening. Okay. So the background on this is that there was a particular vendor. I like the red, so I like to. I like the reindeer. Okay, you can play with the reindeer toy. Just make sure you wash up, okay? My daughter's obviously just got home from daycare, and there's a, a reindeer soft uh, plushy toy thingy that I won in a hamper raffle at work that I brought home. <laughs> uh, sorry, where was I? Yes. So there was a particular vendor that offered laser cut sandwich case products. And they were offering a particular design and suddenly they're no longer doing that. There was no real mention on why that was. But the rumor mill has spat out that they were pressured. I don't know if it was just a cease and desist issue or if it was bullied or if there was any other oomph behind those kind of requests. But they were essentially peer pressured in some manner of form to not produce that design. Now, like I said, I don't have the facts to this entire story, but it was just something that was whispered to me and requested to talk about, okay, through private message. And I had a quick look at it, and you know what? It really got my goat. Like, sure, I'm a cranky old man. Lots of things get my goat. But 
this really is a goat-getting kind of thing. Now, laser cutters are not exactly the cheapest, nor are they the most expensive piece of kit out there. If you've got the space and you've got a couple of thousand dollars, you can get yourself a good quality laser cutter and material. He can sit by himself, yeah. And you can start cranking out laser cut things, right? It's no different to, you know, low-key keyboards, Laser Ninja for us here locally in Australia, you know, Qlavia overseas, uh, Profet23 that was doing all of those Ergodox cases. Like, there is a lot of local acrylic laser cut vendors out there in our community. Good on you, right? You want to offer something that looks good, is affordable, people can get in to, you know, making custom boards either with PCBs or with hand wires and stuff like that. No issues whatsoever. Now, the thing is, anybody who accesses something like Swill KB or even the uh, AIO3 plate and case designer software packages online can replicate exactly the same thing. I don't know what the design was that they stopped making, okay? And it's like it's like art, right? It's like art and it's like science and it's like engineering. Whoever comes out first and starts producing it typically is the one that gets the most recognition from it, okay? But they're not necessarily the only ones that can benefit from it in regards to selling it, producing it, and so on and so forth. It is definitely 100% not impossible for people to come up with a lot of designs virtually the same at the same time. And this is why, you know, intellectual property battles are fought out in the courts and patent rights and stuff like that is quite, quite a hard uh, battle to fight. And coming from an academic world and a research world, you know, we had to keep logbooks where every day we would sign off and rule off the end of the page and say, this was done on this date, witnessed by so on and so forth. Because if you're fighting in that space, that's exactly what you have to deal with. Whoever pipped it first, if you lodge your patent, you're going to get awarded with this. But this is keyboard designs, laser cut stuff. You can't patent it. Anybody can hop in an Inkscape, right? Open source software and draw a couple of lines, shove it out into a PDF, load it into a laser cutter and cut it. So for those people who are gatekeeping this, right? Get off your damn high horses. It's not appropriate. You're, you're not encouraging growth of our community. You're stifling it right? It's, it's basically, you know, dark alleyways with a crowbar and essentially menacing somebody because you want to protect either your interests or interests that, uh, you know, you have allegiance to, okay? The only time that I'm going to say that it's okay to do something like that is if it is actually directly stolen stuff, that's not easy to replicate, right? And trying to pass it off as somebody else's item. So I'm talking about specifically fraud, okay, and fakes. Like what we saw previously with, uh, I can't even remember what the, the group was, but those aluminium keyboards that were being manufactured by a competing design group and being sold 
as legitimate items. And this is not what's happening here. Okay. We're talking, it's, it's laser cut pieces of acrylic. Come on. Okay. It's just not cool. It's just not cool. If I had the space and I had the time and I had the money to go out and get a laser cutter and start making laser cut cases, short of a legal challenge with sufficient evidence of something that is either intellectually property protected, trademarked, registered, or something of that nature that legally protects your design of sandwich laser cut case, you can bugger off. It's as simple as that. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a really good example here of something that's really interesting because our good friends at Kibio have actually put in to trademark the name Iris for the Iris split keyboard. It is actually in progress legally to trademark that to Kibio as one of their products. What makes it interesting is there was another keyboard, I think by ASIO or, or something like that, that utilized the name Iris. Guess what? That's not its name anymore. Okay. Because that Iris trademarking was in progress. They were alerted to the fact that, hey, you need to change your name because you've got a keyboard product that is going to be potentially infringing upon a trademark that I have. Right? And that's a smart move. Okay. So, it's so frustrating, right? We want to grow and develop. We want to have more competition within our space so that prices and market forces are not going to be through the roof and at the mercy of those who might have access to laser production, okay? And if little guys are trying to come through and build up a fan base and deliver good products for an affordable price they definitely should not be pressured in this manner when there's no justification for it. Now, I don't know exactly what that stuff was. I also don't know what parties may have been involved because that's not information that I have. So I'm not naming names about this, but I'm just telling you, if you see it happening out there in the community and you feel it's wrong, well, it should be made hurt like I'm doing here, okay? Because it's not cool. It's not on. It doesn't help us at all. Rise above it. If somebody's beating you in terms of their quality, their service, their products, and whatnot, you need to rise above it. That's how good business works. That's how good business survives. Because if it comes out later, somebody finds out that you've been doing dodgy deeds and back alley, you know, kneecappings, right? It's going to sink you potentially later on. Okay. Rise above it, improve yourself so you can be best to win that competition, win that, you know, business, as it were, over your competitors. Do the right thing. So I'm going to wrap it there uh, for this week. Obviously, there's a couple of things that get me a bit worked up there and, and some interesting considerations bit of talk about some drama as well as you know managing buys uh, intellectual property considerations and stuff like that i hope you enjoyed this week's episode definitely a little bit different to some of the stuff in previous weeks 
Now, uh, yeah, I do want to sign off by giving a shout out to some local events here in Australia in the context that Sydney right now is suffering, if not the worst, some of the worst bushfires that we've ever experienced. We've had days on end of bushfires with hundreds of thousands of hectares being going up in flames. We've got volunteer firefighters that are slaving away to keep people's homes and lives safe. Our entire city is just being absolutely blanketed in heavy, dense smoke to the point where today it was 11 times the hazardous smoke levels. Okay. So I want to say to all those men and women out there who are doing their best for everybody, thank you. Thank you very much. I don't know how many of you are mechanical keyboard enthusiasts. Maybe you're not. But those who are, who have reached back to those communities and those volunteer firefighters and their coordinators and their support network, well, if you hear this and you can pass the word on for me, I would really love and appreciate that because they're doing an amazing bloody job. And for those who are local here in Australia, because bushfires are not only just happening in New South Wales and around Sydney, they're happening all over the country, right? Stay safe. Don't be a hero. When you get that evacuation notice and that high alert and the warning, take action, right? Don't plan to have a plan. You need to have a plan now because fire moves fast. It's bloody damn scary. And well, you know what? Your life is worth more than your possessions because while it might be tough, you can rebuild, okay? So going to leave it at that. Thank you very much all for hanging out and checking out another episode of The Board. Three and a bit years still going and hopefully for many more. <laughs> uh, much to uh, some people's surprise. And I hope you all have a good week. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Okay. So until next time, as always, happy clacking.